Welcome to Your Life Now Radio Show, where your life matters. Your host, Coach Rhea, is a certified professional life coach with a passion to help make the difference in the world. Your Life Now Radio Show brings you powerful resources and effective tips to help you live your best life ever. And now, here's your host, Coach Rhea. Hello, welcome my friends. I am your host, Coach Rhea. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you are listening to the show live archive or if you have downloaded the show on iTunes or from the Stitcher app. Thank you all. Much love to you. Just a quick reminder, I am the founder and the CEO of Your Life Now. It's a professional life coaching and training company. On this show, we try to cover a lot of different topics related to our everyday life on a personal as well as a professional level. I am really looking forward to a great new year here with you. We have a lot of great guests lined up for you so they can give you and share with you a lot of helpful tips and information. So this show is intended to be thought-provoking and for information purpose. All the guests that come on the show are professional in their field and you are welcome to contact them directly from the information I provide on the show page. And you can also contact me directly if you like by visiting my website at www.coachingbyria.com. That's at www.coachingbyria.com. And I can provide you with all the information you need. But just quickly, before we get the guest on the, on the air, I'd like to set my intention, as always. My intention of hosting this show is to inspire you. I like to inspire you to make some positive changes in your life so you can live the life that you desire. It's really up to you. So all I ask of you on the show is to have an open mind and an open heart. Take what is useful for you and question everything. It's your life, so why don't you live it your way? And remember, you know, every day is a new day. Every moment is a gift. Every moment is a new moment. So make the best of every moment. Make the best of every day. And celebrate it as a brand new day this year. So let's make it fabulous one. And we're going to take a short break and we'll bring on our guest for today. So please stay tuned. Thank you. Your Life Now Radio Show with Coach Rhea will return in just a few moments. Welcome back, my friends. Our guest today is Alden Taylor. Alden is an award-winning New York Times best-selling author of more than 300 books, audios, and video programs. He is the inventor of the patent inner talk technology and the founder and president of Progressive Awareness Research. Alden has been called a master of the mind. Alden is listed in more than a dozen who's who publications, including who's who of intellectual and who's who in science and engineer. Alden's books 
and audio-video materials have been translated into more than a dozen languages and have sold millions worldwide. Alden is the host of the popular radio show Provocative Enlightenment. He has interviewed some of the most interesting people on the planet. It's my pleasure to have Alden back on your Life Now radio show. I'm always delighted to have him on. And today, we will be talking about his book, Choices and Illusions. His book, Choices and Illusions, begins by suggesting that we are not in charge of our own choices. So I like to start by asking him, what does he mean by that? So please help me welcome Alden Taylor back on our show. Welcome, Alden. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Always a pleasure Hello. to have you. It's my pleasure indeed. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. I love what you do, and uh, it, it truly is my honor for you to uh, share some time with uh, me and give me this chance to uh, discuss uh, with your listening audience some of the work that I do and some of the findings that we have, uh, we have made. In answer to your question, why... <laughs> start with that, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, first of all, you know, I have to digress just a little bit. I don't want to duck your question at all, but I heard you say it's your life. Why not live it your way? Right. And, you know, that's really the subject of what we're going to be talking about today. Frederick Nietzsche wrote uh, a, quite a while ago uh, a line that essentially went like this, you know, why is it that we don't sit down and choose the attributes that we would like to have, that we would like to emulate. Why is it we don't choose our own personality? Now, you know, when, when I initially encountered this writing, I thought, well, you know, at the time, I was taught IQ was fixed, uh, brain cells begin to die at a certain age, you know, about 30, and they don't replace themselves, and uh, personality is something that becomes rigid between the ages of four and six, and, and so on and so forth, all of which is false to fact. I mean, today we know that that's all nonsense. So the idea that you can actually change your personality is relatively new, but the research not only shows that you can do that, mm -hmm. you can make these changes that you're suggesting, uh, Rhea, uh, but that it's probably the healthiest thing that you can do from a standpoint of improving the quality of your life. So, okay, now I'll come full back to your question. <laughs> okay. Why is it that I believe we don't make our own choices? Well... Let's let's parcel, parse that out a little bit. First, most people are unaware of the fact that it is the subconscious that does about 90% of our decision-making. It sure. makes 90% or more of our choices. In fact, it's the nucleus accumbens that uh, functional magnetic resonance imaging uh, technicians watching the, li the brain lifetime make choices. Uh, they watch this area of the brain make the decision. Indeed, they not only see it, but given that you, you have an alternative, uh, say a button in your right hand and a button in your left hand to choose uh, whatever the one on the right represents, say the letter A or right. the letter B, uh, in the left hand, those technicians will know what you're going to decide to do six to ten seconds before you know. Right. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a second. I want your audience to think about that. 
A technician watching your brain knows what you're going to choose six to ten seconds before I you know. I saw a documentary about that, and it freaked me out. Six seconds, that's a huge. It is huge. It is really huge. Now, okay, if the subconscious is making this decision, why is it that I think I'm in control? Okay, let's, as I said, we'll parse this out a little bit. Let's jump over to some other research. Gonzanigan shows us from split brain research that our conscious mind needs to make sense of the world. And so it makes up stories. It makes up a story to explain why we made the choice. Okay. So we can make a choice. And if I question you about the choice, even though you're unconscious made it, and you may not know what the motive is behind why it made it, you will make up a reason. You will confabulate a story to explain why you made that choice. Let me give you an, an example. We can take a group of men and show them, say, four automobiles. On one of the automobiles, we'll drape a beautiful woman in a bikini. Mm-hmm. We will ask them to tell us which of the automobiles they believe is the fastest. Invariably, they will choose the automobile with the woman draped over it. Now, we can bring them back a week later, put yeah. the same four automobiles online, put the woman on a different one, and ask them which one is fastest, and they again will choose the one with the woman, even though it's a different automobile. Now, when we show them what they have done, and and we explain that they're really choosing the one with a woman, not the other. They will deny that and make up a reason for why they chose that no, second true. automobile the second time. You see? That's right. So what happens now is we, we think that we're making our choices because, again, the conscious mind is confabulating stories to justify that. Indeed, there are... There are compliance principles that the mind operates on, and they're automatic. And because they're so automatic, we really can be manipulated very easily by anyone who understands these compliance principles. But okay, staying with your question now, let's move over to yet another piece of this picture. So far, we have the subconscious mind, it's made the decision, and we have the conscious mind, for all intent and purposes, telling you that, no, it didn't, you really did, and this is why, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, what's in the subconscious mind, Rhea? You, you're a coach, you know this. So the bottom line is the, what's the beliefs, in the subconscious... The all things that have been, been, been used for a long time, and then not to mention what you dump on it as well, consciously or unconsciously. So, That's you know, right. whatever That's it is, it gets stored in the subconscious mind. That's exactly right. It is a repository for all that... No, don't information, all the right. negativity, all the, you know, the fear, the, the doubt. Right. And so when we ask it, like a, like a biocomputer analogously, when we ask it to make a computation, if it has a hundred bits of negative input and one bit of positive, what do you think the outcome is going to be? So we come through this maturation process where our parents are, you know, holding us back and telling us, you know, about hidden dangers and don't be, you know, 
mm-hmm. curious and don't ask questions and and our peers are maybe downloading some negativity to us and maybe mm-hmm. you know we we meet some abuse or some bullying and and we develop fears and remember we're social animals that's critically right. important as a herd animal that we're accepted so we right. all seek to be accepted that's a fundamental aspect of the human nature you know so here we are and, and we have made now adaptations. We have found ways to avoid being rejected. And these adaptations, you know, maybe they work when you're six, seven, ten years old, but they don't necessarily work in adult life. So we find ourselves operating behind defense mechanisms and defense strategies that are all unconscious and hidden away from us with our secret fears and our, our you know. And, and the bottom line is, that's the information. That's the data bank from which the subconscious makes its decisions. Yeah. So you make a choice, and you think it's your choice, but it's really not your choice. The but it's choice not your choice. Ma- right. That's right. And, and you know, you can, go, you can get further down this hole if you want, because the fact of the matter is in our society today, we're taught how to think. Yeah. We're taught when to question and when not to question. The subliminal, yes, yes, all subliminally yeah. done, you know. But you know what I wanted to tell you? It's it's interesting because we've been on this tra- on this uh, trend for a while here on this show because last week's show, um, I, I recommend him, you, you know, you interview him on your show because he's really very, very um, interesting guy, Steve Shank. He's, he wrote the book, The Guardian Code. He said um, it's not our fault, right? It's, and he basically saying the same thing. And he, what he also replied to the fact that we need to do a lot of dumping, cleaning, trash, trash cleaning. He said, you know, look at you, yourself as as the perfect building. You know, you got to take the trash out to keep it perfect. And uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. Now I have another lady who's going to be coming in 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 a few weeks on the show. What she's saying. I am tired of everybody focusing on the subconscious mind, and she is more into the conscious mind. Now, you know, I, you know, I come from the same philosophy as you are because I think, you know, since the subconscious mind is where everything's got housed in, right? So most of the decisions that we make are really coming from that house. It's not coming from the front, which is your conscious mind. Now, can you change that? Yeah, absolutely we can change that by changing, by first of all, get rid of a lot of the stuff that it is in the subconscious mind, right? by implementing new things and trying to change some of the stuff. But until we start dumping some of the stuff out, we cannot put anything in anymore. I mean, who is in control? Who's in control? When it comes to our mind, the mind isn't in control of our life, right? But what part of our mind is in control? Who's making those decisions? You know, Rhea, uh, I I concur with what you're saying. The fact of the matter is I'd like to think I come from two minds. You know, the conscious and the subconscious. If you understand how the subconscious is operating, then you can understand that, well, I do have the conscious ability to change the content. And that's really what you're saying. I can change that content. Now, I I like the idea that somebody comes along and they say, hey, it's not your fault. Uh, And and that's, you know, fault, blame, you know, I I don't do that. There are reasons for that. But the problem with that is... There are lots of folks out there that want to tell you how easy it is. They want to tell you how perfect you are. They want to tell you all the things mm-hmm. you want to hear. And, and that's good. You can guppy that all up, uh, you know. 
but the fact of the matter is, as soon as you understand how the mind works, right. it's incumbent upon you to do something about it. It then becomes your responsibility. And, and so whether it's your fault or not your fault matters not. You know, we sometimes personally exacerbate our own scenarios. Um, I have a 15-year-old son who, you know, if if recently he had a situation because he does debate in a in a private school mm-hmm. uh, where he felt that he was insulted, and so it was important for him to insult back. Uh, that's not un, that's, you know, the, yeah. abnormal. That yeah. is indeed how most people respond. The fact right. of the matter is. In doing that, we're exacerbating our own problem. We we don't gain status by subtracting from other people. So well, because we're looking for validation. I don't like to think about blame or think about fault. The whole thing comes down to this. You are responsible today right. for making the changes that are appropriate, that can bring about the cornucopia of life that we all want. You know, the great relationships, the wonderful job, the successes, the happiness, the joy, the good health, all of those things are tied to what's in you. You know, Buddha said, the mind is everything. What you think you become. We are shaped by our thoughts. We become what we think. You know, the fact of the matter is we know today that from research, just taking time to do a simple meditation um, can change how the gene expression goes. So you're not just fundamentally changing the brain. In fact, one of the latest studies shows that, listen, you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be spiritual to do this. In this research, they created a secular meditation where they simply had uh, subjects who had experienced memory loss due to age and normal aging processes. So this was an older group of citizens. They had them say, Sa-ta-na-ma. Sa-ta-na-ma. All right, Mm -hmm. they did that. They said it aloud for two minutes. Then they turned it into a whisper, Mm-hmm. And then they said it silently. And what they found was 30 days later, the frontal lobe and limbic system had become, uh, had greatly changed in terms of the amount of activity that were involved in the brain. And the memory retrieval system, uh, based on the cognitive examinations that were given them, had been greatly enhanced. So, yeah. And these people were saying this, satanama, kind of like... Uh, do, re, mi, fa. They were told these are just sounds that may, you know, they're designed to get the brain working. So you're just going to do this to kind of, you know, so it had no religious overtone. All right, what's the takeaway of that? The takeaway is simple. We have the ability consciously, and I write all about this. I give you all these tools. We have the ability consciously to change fundamentally not just our believing patterns, our, our life beliefs, our, our behavior, uh, enhance our ambitions, but we have the ability to fundamentally change the way the DNA molecule manifests, so maybe aging, uh, to change the structure and function of the brain. And, and, and I did say change the structure because 
we see in meditators who meditate for 30 minutes for 30 days increases in light matter. In fact, you know, I recently attended a CEU course that was sponsored by the Institute for Brain Potential, and there were two takeaway points emphasized in concluding remarks by by the presenter, a Dr. Kateri McRae. Now, this this was a this was a meeting of research scientists. This was a neuroscientist making the presentation. This was not uh, some you know new age gathering. Um, this was not a dropout from Stanford. These were the pros today. And this is what they had to say, okay? It turns out that you can change your personality, your IQ, your habits, right. as I've said earlier, even the physical aspects of your brain. You can increase the gray matter and more. But the most important takeaway, you can only change what you believe you can change. That's a huge takeaway. Think about absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a huge, because if you can't believe it, you can't see it, you cannot even, it's not going to happen. Well, that's right. If you don't believe it, you're not going to do it. And, you know, right. and, and if you don't do it, well, then nothing happens. So you can hear these words. You can listen to Rhea. Uh, you can tune into her show. You can have all these gurus and experts and what neuroscientists and so forth but come on the show and tell you yourself. what to do. But you have to do it. Only yeah. you can do the doing. Well, you heard, Eldon, in the beginning of the show, you know, I always say that. I always say, got to question everything, and this is information purpose. It is thought-provoking. But what we're trying to do here on the show, and it really is my, my intention, is really to open people's mind to really think about questioning everything. Because what happens when we question something Okay, we want more information. What happens when we want more information? We brighten our mind. And then we start saying, it's like, wow, I never thought about it this way. Why? Because you've been living in a different way. So the choices that you're making were based on something that may be outdated. Maybe it's not healthy for you. Maybe you needed to know more. And that's why the more we understand you know, our current situation, where we are right now, the more we bring ourselves to understand what is going on in our life and question it. Because we have to take responsibility. That was one of the things I, I mentioned to the guest uh, last week, uh, Steve Shank. I said, well, you're telling me it's not my fault if I make, you know, a mistake and, and, you know, I have to take 100% responsibility. I have to take responsibility. Otherwise, I'm not going to make a change. That's right. That's right. You are absolutely right, Rhea. And, you know, what, what we're really talking about, what you're really suggesting is just a form of mindfulness. And the research mm -hmm. is appearing everywhere showing yes. us that, hey, if we can get our Congress to be more mindful, we're going we're gonna to have more progress in Washington. But students in universities and in elementary schools are, are performing better by having just some time for reflection. Mindfulness is really all about paying attention to what's in my mind. And, you know, you're right. You find new choices. You know, one of my favorite, and I give many of these in my workshops, <laughs> but one of my favorite examples of that, because of the work I do, you know, I'll sometimes be watching more than one program in the morning, news program, cable news program particularly. And one morning I was watching, uh, and, and on one station was a conservative uh, poll, and on the other station, a, a very liberal station, was, a, was the same poll. But they were framed differently. They came at you like this. The 
conservative station said, should poor taxpayers be forced to pay um, extra money to put their children through school because our public school system isn't working? Okay? Mm-hmm. And then on the other st- network, it said, should poor taxpayers be forced to pay for rich kids to go to private schools? Now, the issue was all about school vouchers. Now, here's the problem. It's twofold. The first one is, I want to hear what I want to hear. So if I happen to be very <laughs> liberal, I'm never going to listen or watch Fox. I mean, get out of my face. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I, I okay. well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, if I happen to be conservative, really conservative, right. there's no way in the world I'm ever going to watch MSNBC. Right. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to. That, that's the first problem, because I've immediately eliminated the possibility of knowing any alternative. In comes a soundbite. The soundbite from the liberal station, you know, should taxpayers be forced to pay for rich kids? Ask me about a school voucher. There's no way. Are you kidding? That's just for rich people. What I'd never do is the second problem. I don't get my computer out and Google or go to the library and find out what's a school voucher, where does the money come from, who who takes advantage of it, how does it impact the public education system, where is it used, well, what is its uh, success or failure history. In other words, I don't do anything informed. Mm. What I do is I just take that soundbite and run off with it like I know everything, you know. Well, here I am, you know, let me tell you what I think about school vouchers. So no kidding. You know, when we do get thoughtful, when we do become mindful, when we do begin to examine all of our thoughts and our thinking process, we find many errors. And and, and amongst all of that, we find that there is a whole new way to think. In fact... One of my favorite questions in seminars uh, is simply this. What was your yeah. last truly original thought? And oh, it always nice leads one. to the okay. same answer. Silence. Because when you ask people, what is your last original thought, they have to stop. Well, let's see. I, I watched the TV show. What was the show I watched last night? I was talking right. to uh, You see, and, and if I say... What is it you're thinking about doing this weekend? It likely is coming straight out of the media. I'm going to take in a movie. I've got some shopping to do. I'm going to buy this product and that product. You know, maybe I'll look at this briefcase. I was thinking about this new suit. I'm going to go car shopping, you know, the new models. All of that is what? Coming out of the media again. Yeah. So well, we, we where is my autonomy? What, mean, what is you know, my original, authentic self? Yeah. Go ahead, Rhea. No, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm 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 trying to like you know kind of <laughs> get no, in the no, conversation no, yeah. with you on this because I think when you're talking about the news and everything, I think even in our normal life, most of us are so full of opinions. You know, like we all have an opinion about something, but nobody just say, you know what? Here's an information I'd like to provide you with. Maybe you want to take a look at it, see how it how is it working in your life. Question it. Think about it. Does it work? Doesn't work? Whatever. But everybody's telling you what to do. I mean, it starts from home. But in a normal time, people just throw stuff at you and constantly telling you, it's like, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is what, you know, the punishment if you don't do it. This is the consequences. We don't live our own consequences. We don't really take responsibility for things because we were told this is how we're supposed to do it. 
You're right. You're 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 right. We don't live authentic lives, and and that brings us right back to where you started. It's your life. Why not live it at you know your as as you would like to have it? I mean, why not sit down and say, okay, what are the attributes of my personality that I would like to emulate? Um, who are the icons out there that I see that I really admire, and what is it about them I admire? Because I, I want to emulate that and, yeah. and make this list. And then and, and once I have the list in front of me, you know, I, I, I want to be more outgoing. I, I, what is outgoing? What, what do I see as successful? Oh, you know, I had a conversation with Denise Lynn the other day. And uh, she was on my radio show. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about her youth and, you know, some of the problems that she had in childhood, going to school. And she said, you know, Eldon, I saw that the popular people always smiled when you greeted them or you met them or your eyes caught them. They always had a big smile for you. So I decided that if I wanted to overcome, you know, this popular problem that I had. She wasn't very popular and, and, and a host of other things. Uh, at any rate, she said, I decided I was just going to smile. And it <laughs> changed everything. Okay, yes. so let's say that you made this list and you happen to hear a Denise Lynn comment and you say, you know, she's really successful. You know, maybe I'll try that. She's very, very well liked. I'll just add smile into my day. I'll just smile. Okay, you begin to build this list. You know, the the other day I was having a conversation with an individual who said, you know, there are two things that I like to do every day. I insist on doing them. I tell myself I've trained myself to do it. When I first open my eyes, I say thank you, thank you, thank you, and I smile. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and by doing that, I've changed my entire outlook. By saying thank yes. you, thank you, I have embraced gratitude. Gratitude yes. changes my mood state. I become optimistic. Uh, everyone knows that, it, it, you know, you've got two budgets in your body analogous to a government. One is for defense and the other is for growth. If you're going to go around stressed and worried, nervous, you know, in that constant hyper uh, sensitive state, uh, vigilance, uh, you know, just on the threshold of fight, flight. If you're in, you know, going to be in that state, the catecholamines are going to build and they're going to wipe out the neuron paths that do give rise to good memory as you get older. Uh, and, and they're, you know, getting rid of them is uh, next to impossible. Um, your endocrine, your immune, and your ANS system, they're going to be uh, suppressed. Uh, and so on that defense model, everything in your system that should give rise to a long life, an optimal well-being, is shut down or minimized. Growth, on the other hand, it's working, it's optimal. So if I smile, just fake a smile. My brain doesn't know I'm faking it. Exactly. Just, just forming that on my face releases endorphins. It's a mechanical yes. thing, like the physician hitting your knee with his little hammer. It's a reflex. So that smile and the endorphins, the body's natural opiates, they begin to bathe my system, you know. I am feeling good. That conscious statement yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, and I have shifted into gratitude. I've moved into optimism. And now, what kind of a day am I going to have? As yeah, opposed to be a lot better. most people. So why not sit down when you have these tools available? When you can go through a book, then you can say, okay, well, he says here, do this and and do this. 
you know, when, when they're available, then you can do those, and then they will fundamentally change your life, the quality of your life, even how long you may live and what you may die of. In fact, there was a study done at UC Davis a few years ago where uh, a, a Dr. Phillips uh, went to China, and he looked at the birth signs of the Orient uh, because he was he was examining how how important are life beliefs, you know? Oh, well, yeah. the Chinese zodiac um, doesn't just tell you what your personality characteristics are likely to be in your avocation, vocation, but it'll tell you what you're going to die of. So mm-hmm. Phillips' entire idea was, look, if if you believe this, and, and there was a, you know, there's a strong vested, belief in the Chinese astrology system uh, by Chinese people. If you believe this, well then, you know, it will, we'll be able to see it in the data. If you think you're going to die of something, will you die of that? That was a question. Well, what he found was so robust, suggesting that exactly that happens. If you're born under a sign where you believe cancer is going to be the cause of your death, that's what kills you. Cardiac, that's what kills you. On the other hand, if the sign says you're going to live a long life and go in your sleep, it didn't seem to matter what you did with your lifestyle, smoking, drinking, etc., you went in your sleep. That's how important the mind is and these life beliefs that we have tucked away in there that are all about, well, let's just take this one, aging. Most people, when you say... Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you What are you going to look like when you're 90? Hell, 90. I don't even want to live to be 90. But you ask because they don't anyone 89 years old who wants to be 90, and they all raise their hands. You see, we get these images in our mind about this is what mm-hmm. I'm going to look like. I'd be a doddering old fool, you know. I might have a memory. We, we get all this stuff in our head, and then that becomes a life-fulfilling prophecy. Well, let's take a, a short break, and uh, we'll give you a little break here to Alden. Um, this ad that I'm going to be playing right now, an ad that I did for tolovethechildren.org. It's a great organization. It's a nonprofit organization, and I am really honored and proud to be a board member of this organization. The mission of this organization is to create sustainable educational opportunities for all the girl childs to break the cycle of poverty. So please uh, stay tuned and we'll be right back. Dr. David Kenneth Waldman founded To Love Children. When I met Dr. David Kenneth Waldman in my office, uh, when I was the minister in charge of gender and he came to sell me this idea, his vision of, of uh, the girl-child education, I embraced it because I thought this is the way we would be able to empower our young girls. Please go to tolovechildren.org and donate. Thank you for helping me to take my passion and turn it into action. Your Life Now radio show with Coach Rhea will return in just a few moments. Welcome back, my friends. It's been an amazing hour here with you, and I'm, I can't believe the time flying by so fast. 
for our listeners, thank you for joining us. You are listening to your Life Now radio show. I am your host, Coach Ria. It's always a pleasure to be with you, whether you're listening to the show live, archive, or, of course, if you have downloaded the show on iTunes or the Stitcher app, thank you. Much love to you. Well, with me here, my dear friend, who's I feel like you're part of the family now of, you know, with, with me. I love having you on. Alden Taylor coming on the show, and we are talking about choices and illusions his latest book is actually revised with new chapters, How Did I Get Where I Am and How Do I Get Where I Want to Be. And before the break, uh, we touched on a lot of things, and, and we talked about, you know, how um, the book actually states that, you know, but it suggested that we are not in charge of our own choices, and uh, Alden had explained. So make sure if you are listening to the sh- you know, if you start listening to the show now, make sure you go back and re-listen to a lot of the things that Alden had mentioned, a lot of great information, a lot of great tips. So before the break, Alden, I was wanted to add to, about this. Years ago, uh, Connie Shong did a, um, an article about people in a Japanese village um, and why they were living a long life. Actually, the art, you know, it was on prime time, I, th- I believe, and uh, it was about the, the topic was the village of long life. 10% of these population are 85 or older, and that means, you know, 10 times more than American, you know, um, uh, how they age. And these residents of that village, I believe, I'm trying to remember the name of the village, I think it's Uzuri or something like that of that nature, are not just living longer, but they're also quite healthy. They rarely have any, any diseases. They don't need to see the doctor, you know, very rarely that they need to see the doctor. They're not affected by cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's. And many have, you know, um, you know, they smoke, they're eating. It's not, you know, I mean, most of these guys, you see them on the farm. You know, there was a guy over 85 years old on the farm smoking. And, and so how, you know, what's the reason? You know, what makes these people of this Japanese uh, village live, you know, to be healthy and, and not being sick? Well, you know, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, is it a state of mind? Is it what we believe? What, what do you think about that, Alden? Uh, let me digress a little bit first because I, I want to I add to a point you were making. I think of a lot of what goes on today as selling sickness. You see a TV commercial, and this commercial, you know, says the gombu's coming to town, and if you don't get, you know, uh, XYZ at the local pharmacist, it's going to be miserable. But if you do get it, well, then you'll lay in this supine position. You'll be doted upon by your loved ones. You know, we are motivated. We are sold sickness. Now, you may think that's absurd, not you, but, you know, some of the listening audience. But let me give you an example, a real-life example. The pharmaceutical industry has a large investment in selling drugs. Absolutely. And you're going to see a television commercial, every show, regardless of what you're watching, that is going to be selling you some kind of drug, right. telling you about some kind of sickness, telling you how to, <clears throat> you know, see your doctor watch for a contraindication, and so forth. So here we have, we have a real-life instance where a pharmaceutical company holding a patent on a drug um, that has a short life left decides to roll that drug out and tell everybody about restless leg syndrome. So here we are five years ago when the airways fill 
with commercials oh. all about restless leg syndrome. Yes. Now, if you think back about it, you saw this everywhere. Right. And it describes symptoms that everyone has experienced at some time or another. They were general and, and very broad. What we saw, and you can look this up at the AMA site, what we saw was a direct synodial curve, if you will, a straight line on a chart going upwards of the mm-hmm. number of patients who went to their physicians reporting restless leg syndrome. Now, restless leg syndrome is, is real, and I don't mean to minimize it because, you know, the people that are affected by it, it, can, it it's not fun. But it's also rare. However, while this commercial was on the air, it wasn't rare at all. The incidents, again, reporting restless leg syndrome shot through the roof. The patent expired on the drug, and the commercials came off TV. You haven't seen a commercial for restless leg syndrome in over three years now. And what happened? The Mm -hmm. reported incidents of restless leg syndrome fell right back down to the base where it was before. So here's a clear example of the media's influence on selling sickness. Lots of people, when you sit down and talk to them, will tell you they have a seasonal cold or a seasonal flu. They seem to get it the same time every year. Uh, and, then, you know, I did a paper years ago for a presentation in Israel. It was called Memory-Dependent Wellness. The research shows clearly that we can remember becoming ill for some advantageous reason and every year some signal in our environment will give rise to that same illness. Now what do I mean by some advantageous reason? Listen, um, the singer who is terrified of performing in public doesn't sprain an ankle. She gets a sore throat. It's the ballet dancer with chronic performance anxiety that sprains the ankle. You see, I I have something to do and I don't want to do it. Maybe it's examinations, maybe it's... And so conveniently, in that real sense, you're absolutely right, Rhea. We we are actively sometimes choosing the dis-ease that we're going to experience. I, I tell everybody, you know, you should tune off these commercials, period. You just oh flip my the God. station I, if I you're watching boxes. because, yeah. look, oh when my you're God. in front yeah. of that TV, you should yeah, know that good. when you're in front of that TV, you're going to go into a modified brainwave state, an mm-hmm. altered state of consciousness called alpha. Now, yeah. I've testified in the court of law as an expert witness on uh, hypnosis, uh, indeed, the last time was a homicide trial. Uh, and I would tell you the same thing I told the court. Hypnosis, technically speaking, can be objectified by looking at brainwave activity. When the brainwaves slow out of beta into alpha, that's they slow down where they're 8 to 14 cycles per second as opposed to that 14 to 30 cycles per second. When they slow into that range, you're in a state of hyper-suggestibility. Okay, so you've gone to your hypnotist, and the hypnotist has hypnotized you because that's what alpha is. You're in alpha in front of this television set. In fact, one study, subjects were offered a cash reward 
to maintain normal beta consciousness for five minutes in front of the TV, and none of them could. Okay? So you're in alpha, you're in front of the television set, It's, it's analogous to being at your hypnotist, and the hypnotist, before he brings you out of hypnosis, says, look, you're going to get sick. But when you do, come back here, give me another couple of hundred bucks, and I'll take it away for you. How's that? See, it's the same thing. You're sitting in front of the television set, and you're being told you're going to get sick. So, you well, know, you know, Alden, can I share something with you here? Oh, I have please, to tell you, please. this is real. This is really real. Years ago, you know, I was, you know, I used to have TV in my bedroom, and uh, my husband would always have the TV on, and and you know, things come on and commercial and go to sleep. Of course, now there is no TV. <laughs> I don't watch much TV anyway, but there is no TV in my bedroom now. But the thing is, and this is honest the truth, I used to literally, like, the messages, like, you know, you're talking about, like, you know, you're going to get a headache or you're going to get whatever, feeling this. I used to feel them. So I'll wake sure. up and I'm just like, next day I'll tell my husband, like, honey, I really don't feel good. I feel like, you know, and then all of, all of a sudden something creating something in my mind, making me think, and I used to, like, go get my physical instead of once a year, twice a year because I'm so paranoid. I swear, God, I used to be like, it used to drive me crazy. And then I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, this is, it's, it's making me ill. It's actually creating something in my mind, making me feel like my body is ill. You're right. You're right. It does that. You know, if you go to sleep in front of the television set or you go to sleep with a radio on, uh, you're going to get hit with those commercials. You know, up until now, as your guest last week said, not your fault, you didn't know better. If you do it again after this show, you do know better. You have nowhere to go but to take responsibility for it. You know, and and now your question, I define self-responsibility, I think, a little differently than most people think of it. For me, self-responsibility is all about, you know, taking the initiative where it's possible to change the circumstances, uh, to make those circumstances all positive. I'm not going, you know, everything that happens in my life may not be of my choosing. The same with everyone out there. Um, But the fact of the matter is how I respond to it is of my choosing. If I'm consciously aware and awake, I don't make a decision to jump on my horn or flip somebody off because they cut me off in traffic. If I were to think just for a minute, you know, modify the way I frame it and think, well, maybe there's a child in the, in the back seat that they need to get to the hospital. If I were to give this person a reason for needing to do that, I would let him in. So it's how, it's how I frame my experiences in life that typically give rise to behavior, conduct, that is different than the conduct that I would optimally choose if I'm awake and aware, if I'm fully mindful, if I am choosing my behavior at the moment as opposed to reacting uh, like a ping-pong ball uh, being bounced between mallets. Now, let me expand that a little bit more. Sorry, I'm interrupting you again because I really want to hit on this really um, so people sure. can can, can uh, talking about self-responsibility, right? When right. we got the conscious and the subconscious mind. So are you telling us, and this is what i like you to, to emphasize on a little bit more, are you telling us we are responsible for the conscious 
And are we also still responsible for our subconscious mind? Because that's where it house all the information, right? So where, which comes first? From this day forward, you are. As soon as you know, then you become responsible. Now, all right, okay. how do I become responsible is really the answer to which comes first. The, the way I become responsible is to become mindful, and that's conscious mind. My conscious mind is, is like a magnifying lens. I can, I can hold it out here, you know, away from my face, and it's just a blur. It's diffused. Or I can bring it in closer and aim it at an object, and, man, I can magnify it and see the finest detail. So what I begin to do is monitor my thoughts. And when a thought comes that isn't a thought I want to have, I don't judge it because that stops him from coming. That starts me on a whole new trend I don't want to be on. Instead of that, I evaluate it. So let's take this. This is a simple exercise I do all the time. You can do this, Rhea. I'm sure you probably have. But I ask a group of people, Mm -hmm. how many of you want to make a million dollars? And everybody in the audience will always raise their hand, okay? I've seen the first lady of Malaysia raise her hand to this question, okay? How many of you want to make a million dollars this year? Everybody raises their hand. Okay, in order to make a million dollars, now you know you're going to have to do something different than you have done. You may have to go at risk. You may have to borrow money. You may have to quit the job you're in. You know, you're going to have to go at risk because I I said make a million dollars. I didn't say win it in a lottery. Right. You're going to go out there and you're going to earn a million dollars. So I want you you to recognize that the very first place to start is in your belief. Because if you don't believe you can do it, you will sabotage yourself. Fear will hold you back. It just won't happen. So I want you to say to yourself silently but with all the meaning you can muster, this year, I'm going to make a million dollars, you know? Mm. And it takes just a couple of seconds, and I see some smiles or head nodding, you know, no, you know. And hands go down. People's right? eyes rolling. <laughs> and, and you know why? Because that stream of consciousness begins to say things like, yeah, sure, what are you going to do, rob a bank? Yeah, It begins right. to deride us. Now, what, what am I listening to? I'm listening to my own stream of consciousness. I'm listening to my own self-talk. And, and that self-talk is deriding what I consciously wish to do. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to be more gregarious. I'm going to smile at every person I, I, I meet. Really? You're going to smile at so-and-so? You know, you remember? Well, maybe, yeah. And you see, we begin to modify we begin to minimize, we begin to deride uh, the very nature of, of what our conscious mind, our conscious objective was in the beginning. And all because there's a stream of consciousness. So if I'm looking at this and I say, okay, wait a minute. I, I just heard you say what I'm going to do, rob a bank. So obviously you don't think that I, I can make this. Where, where did this thought come from? What? Do I have something against money? Oh, no, wait a minute. That's right. I was taught that money is the source of all evil. It's harder for the laden camel to get into, you know, through the the gates of Bethlehem, the eye of the needle, if you will, uh, because that was called uh, the gates of Bethlehem, the eye of the needle, than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Oh, yeah, money is evil. I, I... Oh, you know, and the other thing about money is you have to have accountants. I mean, what would you do? I mean, and and 
What I do oh, no, in that do process is I begin <laughs> to uncover all yeah. these things that are behind that thought process. And yeah. as I as I welcome them in, I don't again, I'm not criticizing them, I'm not shoving them away. I'm welcoming them. As I welcome them in, I begin to understand myself. And I then can reframe them like the child in the backseat of the car. I then can, you know, that was interesting that I would have believed that at some point in my life. I understand where I got that. My mother and father really, you know, they were very blue-collar and but in defense mechanisms and other things can make you want to see someone that's successful as maybe being dishonest. I, I understand where that came from, but of course it's 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 not appropriate. It's really not true. I can give myself permission to be successful, and I begin to modify how I talk to myself. In fact, the InterTalk technology that I patented. Uh, was all about how do you change the stream of consciousness if you change the stream of consciousness from the inside out your life changes and mm-hmm. but you can do this just like i'm saying by being mindful without ever buying a cd or or spending a dollar just by becoming completely conscious paying attention modifying it as you move along reframing it the bottom line could really be you know summarized this way ria how many friends do you think you'd have if you spoke to them the way you speak to yourself? Probably <laughs> many. There you well, go. Well, I mean, see? it depends if you say that, that, that I don't mean you because you're, you're, you know. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, you know, I'm not talking yeah. about me myself, but in hypothetically, most people will be saying, you know, well, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions because I know we're flying out. The time is just, yes, absolutely, just running, running, running. There's <laughs> no stopping here, but we can... We can try to get, squeeze a couple more questions before we let you go. I know before the break you mentioned, you know, how important, and I mean, like I said, I, I, I love the fact it's so easy to, to interview someone like yourself because I'm on the same, you know, um, line of thought, thinking, and stuff like that. Gratitude, how powerful. But you also mentioned in your book, Choices and Illusions, you know, forgiveness. The forgiveness is very important as well. And, and I know you talked about um it, you spoke about the study in in a Utah state prison where using forgiveness message worked to improve inmate attitudes. So can you touch a little bit about that? I mean, you know, it's important people understand, you know, like, you know, I mean, we, we, we take things too personally and we always holding grudges and we always thinking like, you know, I got to get this person because this person did something to me. You know, we might not forgive the act, but you can forgive the person and whatever. I like to know what you think about it. Well, it was a real epiphany for me, and indeed, you know, I continue to have epiphanies from time to time based on this. Uh, You know, I went out to the Utah State Prison. We were conducting a study out there. It was designed to lower hostility and aggression, interrupt the recidivity rate, you know, um, all a part of a rehabilitation program, and we ran some very sophisticated psychometrics, and when we were all said and done, we hadn't learned anything new. You know, we had high scores in self and social alienation, and uh, but when I sat with the inmates and I listened to the inmates, uh, and we talked with the inmates, we heard more or less the same thing over and over again, and 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 you know the story went like this it isn't my fault the world did it to me i mean after all my daddy was an alcoholic my mommy was a prostitute and the neighbor boy mainlined me when i was 12 years old okay now the, usually these stories were very exaggerated but even when the stories were true you could have two brothers come from the same home 
One would be in the prison, the other would be in a teaching hospital as a physician. So in other words, they made different choices. But what we found in the inmate population was that they displaced responsibility for their actions by blaming it on society, by blaming it on their parents. Blame became the mechanism by which they were able to live with themselves for their for the attitudes and the actions uh, of their past, okay? Well, if we were going to have any success, we had to undo the blame. And the only way you can undo blame is forgive. So I basically put together something we call the forgiveness set. And, and this... The program evolved to a program we call Forgiving and Letting Go. It is a free program. Your listeners can download it from my website, uh, intertalk.com, I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. We have given it away for over 20 years. It is the beginning point for anybody, in my view, who wants Mm -hmm. to self-empower. But we put this together, this, this set of messages, including this boiler set we call the forgiveness set. I forgive mm-hmm. myself. I forgive all others. I am forgiven. And we used that with the inmate population. It did indeed increase reflectivity, uh, decrease uh, hostility and aggression. The prison was so impressed. The data was so robust that they installed voluntary libraries throughout Many prison systems uh, copied it. Indeed, uh, a radio host uh, in Los Angeles uh, that I was interviewed by recently said to me, oh, yeah, I remember that, Eldon, because we, we put it in our system here at Chowchilla for the women. Uh, so it, it went you know, to a number of prisons. That's how effective it was. And, right. and this was this, this modality of intertalk where you bypass you know, conscious awareness to change the way you talk to yourself by implanting this belief that I forgive myself, I am forgiven. All right, what happened is that undid the ability to blame. And if I can't blame, well, then I have to take responsibility. Well, if I take responsibility, well, I guess I I did it. It, You know, I could have chosen differently. Then I'm suddenly empowered to do something about it. That's that's the key uh, to understanding self-responsibility. Empowerment arises from it. To the precise extent you blame anyone, you rob yourself of your own empowerment franchise. You're literally, you know, tying yourself up. So this became a very critical point for me. But at that at that juncture in my life, I was a successful criminalist. I had this huge stallion station and racing stable that was my hobby on the side. I was a licensed racehorse trainer. I was running around in a new Mark V uh, Lincoln paid for. Uh, you know, I was the epitome of success, but my, my personal life sucked. Uh, and I mean, it really sucked. And when I encountered this, I realized, you know, I, I, I am guilty of exactly what these inmates are. The difference is I have found a socially acceptable way to act out my anger that's mm-hmm. a part of my blame. And, you know, maybe that's why I deliberately twist those cuffs when I put them on this burger or, you know. Uh, in other words... You don't have to be maladaptive enough to be in a prison system to be operating with a very similar defense strategy. And my defense strategy, you know, to deal with all this anger was to act it out in a socially acceptable way. 
uh, when you see somebody, you know, hostile in traffic, you know, you're looking at somebody that's in pain. You're looking at somebody who's lost their power. They they are blaming. They're full of anger. And and you know, like that that pressure pot on the on the flame. You know, it builds up and it can explode. Uh, Bly said, "We all carry a long bag." This is Robert Bly and his the little book on the human shadow. And this this long bag, this shadow, is where we put all our hurts and our pains and and. Uh, and, you know, one day, you know, we come on to some situation that's just more than we can handle, and it explodes and comes out of us. But when it does, it doesn't come out where it should. Instead, it comes out against someone we love or someone, you know, close by, or it comes out in a way that is totally self-destructive. You know, I uh, I took that to heart, and I began to work with the program myself. But just recently, I found myself... Uh, Actually, I suppose the word is envy. I found myself in a situation where I was envious. I didn't recognize it as envy. I, mm-hmm. I saw it more as someone was being treated more special, and and, and I saw I saw mm-hmm. it more as an, a fairness issue. But mm-hmm. I also found that these feelings began to resurface. And when I looked at that, as whoa, you know how self-destructive, how self-sabotaging that is. But again, that comes from being mindful. And, you know, we don't walk on water. We don't live in a vacuum environment. We are constantly bombarded with new information, rubbing shoulders with new people. There's new stimulus. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. You know, and we're integrating that. We are dynamic human beings in this school of life with a greater mission to learn how to love and be all that we are by birthright. Um, You know, I like that saying that says, you know, all that I can ever be is a gift, and the only way I can repay that giver is by maximizing that gift, being my best at everything I can be. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, I just wanted to say, with that being said, I just want to emphasize to the listeners who, you know, to, to correct, you know what I said about my um, guest last week. Um, he when he said it's not your fault, and I can prove it in his book. And when we talked about that, and I asked him, "Are you telling me that we're not taking full responsibility?" That's not what he meant. I just want to emphasize: he is not saying that we shouldn't be taking full responsibility for our action and for what we do and think and everything. But what he is saying, just wanted to clear that out. So make sure you know we're not you know trying to um, attack anything here. Is the fact that he was mentioning that um, we were all created by birthright, you know, perfect. We were all perfect, and uh, we really need to take a look at our life and see where things start to go wrong, okay, and start clearing it out. And that's why he talks about the trash, taking the trash out and cleaning everything, and that's where the subconscious mind comes in. So I just wanted to clear that out. And I have to tell you, um, Alden, I mean, I can spend hours with you because I always love talking with you and discussing this because I'm I, it's to me it's like you know intellectual conversation it's always pleasure you know I love doing that but we want to tell people a couple things here about the book and and um, basically if, if we can summarize I know you talked about the self-responsibility you talked about the importance of of gratitude the forgiveness and how people can change their attitude by starting implementing that simple you know um, act of forgiveness 
And, um, you know, I know, you know, spirituality is, is big for you, and we're not talking about religion here. Do you want to touch on that quickly, summarize, and tell people where they can go and get the book? I would love for you sure. to do that if you can. Sure. Uh, you can get the book at any brick-and-mortar bookstore, online, of course, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Books A Million. Uh, the book is on sale at Amazon right now. It comes with a free CD, an Intertalk CD, uh, unlimited personal power, and you know we sell those CDs for twenty seven ninety five, and I think the book is on sale for, well I know it's under twenty dollars, I think it's around sixteen seventeen dollars. So with that you know thirty dollar CD, that makes it a super good buy. If you go to my website eldentaylor.com, e l d o n eldentaylor.com, and click on the banner there about choices and illusions. Uh, after you've bought the book, you you bring back your receipt number and input it there on my website. There are uh, there's about a hundred gifts that are just uh, special gifts from uh, some of the you know leading um, people I I think in in this area, including yourself, Rhea, that uh, uh, are yours or you know for the downloading. Uh, they Thank can be. You. Uh, a meditation program. It can be mm-hmm. a, a screensaver. There's some really great gifts there, uh, and they're yours uh, for free uh, once you purchase the book. Just come back, like I say, and go to my website, eldentaylor.com. Click on that banner and input that uh, that receipt number that you'll get, and, and you'll have access to that material. And you know, in answer to the big one. You know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, there, there's a marvelous Sufi story. It's called the Book of the Books. Mm, and, uh, you know, this is a story about a, a, a community that uh, there was never illness, there was never tragedy, there was never discourse, there was no such thing as crime, uh, because all the decisions were made from this book of the books, this, this unbelievable leather-bound magical tome that rested inside a, a central aditum within a, a temple. But one day, uh, the priest who had access passed on, and they had to name a new uh, priest to take his place. Once they did, the priest who, and I'm shortening the story because I know of time, but the priest who who won this appointment was so excited about actually gaining entrance to to this aditum, central aditum, and to opening this this book of the books. And when he did, uh, the book was empty, page after page after page was just blank. And until he got to that last page, and there the book said this, when you know the difference between the container and the contents, you know all. You know, I carry that with me. I think about that because we are all spiritual beings Mm -hmm. in a physical body Mm -hmm. having a experience that for all intent and purposes caused, you know, Think of it this way. We are all God experiences walking around. Okay? Yeah. Uh, that contents within the container, that's what we really want to manifest. That's what we really want to bring out. What we really want to put the glory to is the highest best of the humanness, of the gift that we are. Beautiful. 
That's so beautiful. Tell also our listeners if you could about your radio show and the time so people can listen to you also. Of course, I want them to come back here. <laughs> I'm always happy to come back and visit. Ah, you, you, know, you know, I love that. having, I mean, you know, this is like a conversation. We could be just I'm sitting at the you, table having coffee. And, week. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. My radio show, Provocative Enlightenment, uh, you can go to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com and get uh, all of the stations that it airs on. It's a syndicated show. It airs live at 11 a.m. Uh, on Wednesdays on CTR Network. That's contacttalkradio.com. Um, but it goes out on a number of uh, other networks if you can't make the live show. It's a two-hour show from 11 to 1 uh, Pacific Coast time. Uh, so that would be 2 o'clock Eastern time, 2 to 4. We... Uh, the show is all about let's bring in these folks that are uh, the latest, greatest um, in in the areas of science or in the areas of pushing the borders of what we can think is real and why we believe as we believe. And uh, let's examine that. And we have a lot of fun. And I welcome all of your listeners. So. Thank you very much for that opportunity, Rhea, to plug my Oh, my show. pleasure, my pleasure. And you're always so incredibly amazing. And I really appreciate all the work that you do and all the enlightenment that you, you know, you, you spread out because we need a lot of people like yourself. And, and, and we hope that people took a lot of great, you know, information from the, from the show, a lot of great uh, tips uh, Alden had mentioned, and uh, make sure you go to his website for more details, buy the book, Choices and Illusions. Okay, if you go to aldentaylor.com, and like he mentioned, when you buy the book, you can go back to the site and uh, put the receipt, the information from the receipt, and you've got all these free stuff that he's offering there, great, great stuff, not to mention the inner talk. CD that you will be getting with the book, so that's a great buy. I'm um, I'm a big fan, you know. I mean, I know you patent the inner talk, um, the self talk person because we've done I've done this thing like since day one with myself, listening to self talk and creating, you know, um, positive messages that I wanted to repeat. I've learned to speak languages doing it that way. I've learned to change how I think about my life that way. So I know how effective it is. So please check out Eldon's. Um, site and his book and, and and you'll be glad you did so thank you again Alden much love oh, it's, it, indeed my pleasure thank you Rhea I thank love you. it take I love care. what you do thank you again so very you. much appreciate you take care until next time my friends stay well thank you your life now radio show with coach Rhea will return in just a few moments are you ready to put an end to thinking about how you wish it were and take action Take this step to find out more by going to coachingbyria.com and you can receive your free consultation session with Coach Rhea. Coach Rhea is a certified professional life coach with a passion to help make the difference in the world. Okay, my friends, as always, I'm so glad to have, you know, being here on the show with you, sharing some great guests, great information. So make sure you go back, check out the show page, go to Alden's uh, website, www.aldentaylor.com, and, and check out the book, and check out all the stuff that he has to offer you. And then I love for you to connect with me, so, you know, make sure you follow the show for up-to-date information. Connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere. Send me a message here. 
Go to my website, www.coachingbyria.com. I love to hear from you and tell me how I can be in service, how I can help you to be better, to, well, you're already better, not in that sense, but if I can do anything to help make your life better. That's what I, uh, I would love to be able to be in service. And until next time, you know, make sure you stay amazing. Remember, every day is a new day. Don't get so wrapped up with New Year's resolution. I hope you already tossed those out the window and you're focusing on every moment. You're focusing on every day. Make plan. We do, you know, we make plans for everything, but we don't make plans for our life. Take that time every day, whatever time that you can set aside to look at your life, to look at some of the changes you can make, to see where you can change. Okay, change is good, my friend, because life is changing. Life is constantly changing. Everything around us is changing. We need to do that. So we need to move forward and not look backward because everything happens starting right now. So until next time, much love, everybody. Stay tuned for next week's show. Okay, take care. Goodbye for now.